HawkeyeInsider.com, David Eichel, Sean Bach with you for another episode of the Swarmcast. Uh, no shortage of storylines to talk about, Sean. I know you're back home for Thanksgiving. That'll be good for you to enjoy some time as a probably last time back home while you're uh, still a college student, Sean. Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> well, you're not counting it before uh, before it comes into fruition, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of things that I think talk about, Sean, Iowa 9-2, and two, uh, I mean, where do we start? I mean, they, they found a way to be 9-2, and two, being Illinois 33-23. Uh, I do think Brett Bielema being absent was a notable storyline because I do think Illinois would have pulled out a few more trick plays and really put out all the ropes. Uh, but with Bielema out, I think that they still played somewhat efficiently. They got up to that hot start. Charlie Jones might have had the play of the month because – everything was going against Iowa's way until that kickoff return. I think once Iowa had that kickoff return, it was, I think everybody kind of knew that the game was going to be in Iowa's favor. I don't think many people were worried about Iowa folding down the stretch, even though they still trailed. It wasn't like one of those things like when, when Penn state had Sean Clifford, like, you know, I think that's the only time I can compare it to. I know Minnesota had the lead at one point too, but, I really don't think many people thought they were going to lose that game regardless. And I think I kind of got that same feeling when, uh, when Jones hit the end zone on that hundred yard kickoff return. Yeah. I got, I got a lot of a lot of vibes from that Wisconsin game because you look back at that game and you know, everything, everything seemed to be going wrong. There were a couple of muff snaps, um, a couple of fumbles. And then, you know, that obviously that average Kelly Martin fumble that, that Tora Taylor that Muff snapped in the punt was something that we really didn't see. I, I mean, I thought it was a bad snap, but I thought Taylor could have could have came down with that one because it, it wasn't like it was super cold in Iowa City too. So that one that one was kind of one of those rare mistakes that you don't see from Lavar Woods' unit. But yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I just got those Wisconsin game vibes. I I thought they were going down a path where you know against Illinois it's it's more avoidable um but also like you know Brian Ferentz mentioned that Wisconsin week that if you get down against that team like you're in big trouble from the jump but with Illinois I mean none of the coaches said this but you know with the way Illinois program has been the way they've been this year you know they've had some big wins but if you get down to a team like that you're you you're capable of you know climbing back up and 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 winning those games as a result and that's what Iowa did. You know, it wasn't the pretty start that a lot of people wanted, but yeah, I thought that Charlie Jones kick return was absolutely massive. I think that was the biggest play of the game and there were a number of big plays in that game, but that one in particular just really seemed to flip the script of what, what we thought was going to, or what, where that game was going, what path that game was going down. And, you know, Jones changed and I, I tweeted out, I was like, man, he is, like, I don't know what Iowa would do without him at times. He is just such a spark plug and really gets the offense moving. If if they didn't have him, I, I really don't know there would be. I think, you know, maybe some games they in the past two years, they <clears throat> they maybe wouldn't have won. Maybe that's an extreme, but I, I definitely think that he is a big part of the momentum and, you know, just how crucial his 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 uh playmaking is. And, you know, that's on offense and defense – or not offense and special teams. I think if you – you know I... – the thing is, with the Illinois, you mentioned how their type of team you could come back against. I think you also need to – maybe I'm overreading this, Sean, but I've always thought that when you have a certain team's number, the team that constantly loses to a certain opponent, it's a mental block. I mean, Iowa had won 12 of the past 13 games, seven in a row against Illinois. 
six in a row inside Kinnick Stadium, it really had just become a big mental block. So I think once, you know, Iowa had that kickoff return touchdown, it was sort of that, oh, no, here we go again type of thing. And, you know, for a lot of the Iowa guys, too, like even Charlie Jones said he he took that game a little bit more personally because he, he was an Illinois native. And he's going against his home state school. He takes the pride in trying to make a big play against them. And then you think about how many Iowa guys come from Illinois, how many of them really kind of not want to get back at them. Cause I'm sure Illinois, it maybe at least took flyers or maybe they didn't offer. I mean, look at Sam Laporta. He never even got an Illinois offer. Uh, despite, you know, I think a lot of high school coaches telling Illinois, Hey, offer this kid. He's going to be productive. He's going to be an NFL caliber player. So I think that also has something to do with it. But like you said, I mean, LeVar Woods in general, the special teams unit, I don't know what Iowa would do. I mean, seriously, Sean, this might be an extreme as well. If you throw Iowa special teams on with Nebraska, Nebraska is probably sitting at eight and three right now because of how many one score games they have. But how many bad special teams plays they've had, whether it be field goals, giving up returns, lack of returns, fumbling. And then you look at how fundamentally sound Iowa's has been for the most part. I mean, Iowa special teams have won games this year and you look at this illinois game iowa puts up 33 points the offense was responsible for seven because they had the pick six they had the four field goals they had the kickoff return that's the epitome of this iowa team i think right now uh but let's dive in this offense a little bit i think the, the hot topic obviously sean is alex padilla what's you know is he gonna start this week against nebraska Look, I think if you look at the stat line, it's going to be really easy to be like, yeah, he played like crap. The eye test is important. And I still think Alex Padilla hasn't done anything to lose the job. I think that there were at least five drops. I'd argue six, but I'd understand if people thought there were only five. I think Tyler Goodson's, I, I, I agree with not giving him a drop because I think Alex Padilla threw that way too hard with not a lot of touch on that. And it was slightly behind. But Goodson's the type of guy who can make that catch. But Six to 17, 83 yards, including the INT. But there were some throw, like there were some wow throws, I thought, Sean. I think the one to Arlen Bruce that got him inside the red zone, that was an outstanding catch by Bruce. But the placement where Padilla put that was, it couldn't have been better. And then you look at some of the throws that were just drops over the middle. I mean, it, it, it's if you're a Big Ten receiver, I mean, you, you got to be able to come down with those. And it, uh, you know, whether Alex B has put too much zip on the ball, I think you'd rather do that than throwing ducks. So I think Padilla did a fine job. I, I love his pocket presence. I like the way he, he, he has that natural maneuvering in the pocket ability. He hasn't really displayed a lot of mobility outside the pocket, but there's mobility inside the pocket. And I think he's shown a little bit more, uh, more of that than Petrus through at least through Padilla's two starts. Yeah, I mean, the one the one example that we got outside of the pocket was when he scrambled, I think it was on first or second down. I think actually I think it was on second down. And mm-hmm. he slid just short of the first down marker. And you know, I thought maybe he could have gone a couple more yards without sliding. Honestly, I think he might have been trying to play it safe because he thought he had the first down, but I think he maybe could have split those two guys and ended up taking in a couple more, maybe 10 or 15 more yards deeper in uh Illinois territory but yeah and that met that play on Bruce too I mean I I was watching that and I was kind of like whoa like I'm not saying you know Petrus wouldn't make this play but I have a hard time seeing him move around like Padilla did and then end up making that throw and you know he just Padilla just adds another dimension we've talked about it the last couple of weeks 
you know, obviously the mobility plays a role, but, you know, some of these offensive plays that Padilla is making, just you don't see it with Petrus on your center. And, you know, I, I think they're, they're skilled in different ways, but, you know, with the way that football is now and having a mobile quarterback, we've seen in the past, Iowa has had trouble with those mobile quarterbacks at times. You know, Sean Clifford's a prime example of that. Obviously don't want to go into the whole debate again, but he is, he is a prime example of what you can do when you have a quarterback who's not necessarily considered a dual threat, but a guy that can use his feet a little more than maybe your average pocket passer. And Padilla's brought that different aspect to the Iowa offense. And it's been, it's been crazy to see. I mean, not crazy to see. I, it's been eye-opening to see. You know, it, it reminds you of C.J. Beathard a little bit. Beathard wasn't a burner by any means, but he could move a little more. You kind of, you know, able to extend plays. And, you know, extending plays are important. There's a big difference between offensive plays that are three seconds compared to offensive plays that are six or seven seconds. Because, you know, you can get a wide receiver, get an extra break, in the in those extra two to three four seconds <clears throat> compared to the three second plays where you know they're just running one simple route concept you know you can get a guy that in those three seconds ends his route and then runs a different one runs an alternate one or you know some sort of other route with it and ends up gaining a long completion and you know having a mobile quarterback like Padilla that that makes all the difference that's that's your key to having those longer extended plays and I mean, it goes back to what I was saying too. He hasn't done anything to lose the job. And the reality is now he has enough experience and tape, Sean, where I, I, I I'll say it. And I think everybody kind of knows it. I'll be shocked if Petrus and, and, and Padilla are both on the roster next year. Like there's going to be a serious off season discussion about who's going to be the starting quarterback at Iowa. And I have a hard time, especially with the free transfer that both guys really, you know, stick it out because now Padilla has a taste of being the guy. He's had success of being the guy. So why would he want to go back to being a backup for another year or two with if Petrus takes the starting job? And it, and it's going to be very interesting to see what the depth chart comes out this week, how Kirk and Brian handle it. I'm sure Kirk's going to say, oh, we're going to evaluate throughout the week and try to play it cute with Nebraska. But Nebraska will probably be ready either way. But – there's no doubt that the passing game has to be better against Nebraska. Nebraska's defense, say people say what they want about the black shirts and kind of laugh at them. If you watch them on tape, they have been significantly better this year. I think the JoJo Doman uh, linebacker, uh, he's been great, but he's now out for the rest of the season after having surgery on his hand, which is a huge loss for them. But they still got some dudes. And if there's one team that Nebraska wants to beat, it's Iowa, especially with the way Iowa's kind of been in your face. We've beaten you six times in a row about it uh, over the last six years. But I want to flip over, Sean, to the running game. Uh, I think the offensive line and the running game have made significant strides over the past couple weeks. I think I think Kirk's basically alluded to this in the press conference as well. Tyler Goodson was a workhorse against Illinois, 27 carries, 132 yards, 4.9 yards per carry. That's sort of what I think we expected entering the season with Tyler Goodson. But I think you look, especially the interior of the offensive line, Linderbaum's been great. Kyler shots at 100%, and you, you can easily tell the difference between him at 80% and him at 100%. He's played better. Connor Colby, I think, continues to prove that he's going to be a potential all-Big Ten caliber guy in the future as well. And I think Iowa's tackles, they, they've played a little bit better as well. So 
I like what I'm seeing out of it. I like seeing Gavin Williams take some of those backup reps. I think he did a nice job. And uh, I mean, Iowa only giving up one sack. I think that's a huge, huge deal. Uh, and I think you got to give a lot of credit to Isaiah Gay from Illinois. I mean, he had five and a half tackles for loss and a sack against Iowa. But outside of him, uh, they only had 2.5 other tackles for loss. So Iowa gaining ground. I like the inside zone concept. I like the jet sweeps. It, it at least looks like Iowa's trying to maybe not be creative with it, Sean, but they're trying new things. And I think that's what people have been kind of calling for all along. Yeah, I, I thought the offensive line had their best – one of their best games. I think you look at the Minnesota game, obviously not allowing a sack. That was that was critical. But I also think, like, just the push that they got up front, and I thought the interior play was really good as well. I think Kyler Schott and Jack Plum – I know Jack Plum's at left tackle, but Plum, I think, had his best pass, pass blocking game. And Nick DeYoung was a little better. I know there's still some struggles there with him, but – I thought this offensive line played really well. And obviously it starts up front with Linderbaum. He was he was really good in run protection. That's for sure. I thought the pass blocking could have been a little better, but you know, his run and his run blocking, the push that they got from, you know, him, Connor Colby, um, and then Kyler Shot as well in the interior were, were really impressive. And <clears throat> Goodson had a couple of runs. I think it was off the left tackle. I can't remember if I think it might have been through the C gap actually. So between the left tackle and left guard, um, or the um, not the the B gap, sorry, that were really that were really impressive. So I thought that was good to see. I know that's been a struggle at times, but yeah, I I really like the complementary backs of Goodson and Williams. I think those two complement each other really well. I never really thought that Gavin Williams would be a feature back at Iowa. I always thought he'd be kind of that number two guy. Um, but he's the perfect number two guy, honestly, for especially for a guy like Goodson who, you know, has that twitch. And, you know, I think he's so much more effective when he hits when he hits the line of scrimmage, when he hits those blockers, hits those holes before he ends up, you know, going like kind of shifting back and forth, left, right, um, going east, west as opposed to north, south. I think when he goes north, south, and when he goes at, at the tackles, obviously you want to have patience, but it's just a big difference when he when he attacks the line of scrimmage before he ends up, you know, trying to make different moves to the outside that, you know, obviously he can bounce to the outside if something's not there. But when his initial move is when he hits the line of scrimmage and he just goes outside, I, you know, and he kind of just goes backwards sometimes too, um, you know, and obviously it's different reads, but I think he's so he's just so much more effective when he goes just straight to the line. Obviously, he can make can make a move out to the outside if need be, but you know when he just goes through and you know runs, follows his blockers that way. He he's just different back there, and we saw that against Illinois. Yeah, no, I I agree completely with that. Uh, let's flip over the wide receivers quick, Sean. I think obviously the most notable storyline: Tyrone Tracy only getting six snaps, three of them in passing. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how how it develops against Nebraska. How much Iowa really uses him and then I think it's going to be you know he's going to be a name to watch going forward into spring ball and, and winter workouts because right now all the momentum especially if Padilla is the starter it's with Keegan Johnson it's with Arlen Bruce it's with the younger guys because he has more chemistry with them and it, it it shows I mean again I think uh, something I want to mention about Padilla that I think he does a better job of than Petrus Padilla scans his options he knows right where to look 
He knows right where his guys are going to be. He goes boom, 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 boom. Doesn't lock onto one target. I think that was the big knock on Petrus for a long time is he'll just stare down receiver and then he'll look for a check down if the receiver's not there. So half the guys running their outs wouldn't even get a look. I think Padilla does a great job of kind of understanding that time and feel. But Tyrone, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about, you know, his social media comments um, surrounding the Swiss Army knife. Kirk and Brian both backed him up in the press conference saying he is allowed to feel that way. They had no issue with the way he did it. But then Keegan Johnson gets 60 snaps and Tyrone gets six. And I'm not blaming the coaches. They can do obviously they want to do. I'm not blaming Tyrone for being frustrated, especially when he entered the season as everybody thought the number one receiver. But I don't know how much more summed up than that, Sean. But right now, Iowa's offense obviously needing a spark, but I think Iowa is going to just give the nod to the younger guys who have been playmakers for them this year. And I, I don't, again, I don't, it's so, it's almost like the, uh, not quite like the Padilla Petrus argument, but Keegan and Arlen haven't done anything to lose snaps. In fact, they've only done stuff to gain snaps, especially with an offense that's lacking playmakers. They're the ones making plays right now. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, I mean, Keegan, Keegan's had a couple of drops in the last few weeks that you kind of, you know, shake your head at a little bit. But I think his what he's done to outweigh that has been the most impressive. You know, being a more of a downfield threat than I think Tyrone has this year. Obviously, Tyrone's been that in the past, but Keegan's really come on strong when he can do it. I know they like his, his blocking, too, which is obviously a – a big part of being a wide receiver because if you want to see the field, you have the block. And, you know, Arlen, and, you know, you talk about that Swiss Army knife comment. I, I said that in our game thread on Saturday, and I got a few uh, upvotes on that one. But um, <clears throat> he, I mean, that's what he is. Like, he is a Swiss Army knife. That's what they described to him during the recruiting process is like, man, you can do a lot of different things. And, you know, it was kind of reminiscent of the Holiday Bowl a few years ago with how Iowa used Tyrone Tracy with a couple of jet sweeps um, in the receiving game and, you know, just using them in different ways. And, you know, Arlen seems to be really taking on that role. We talked about Keegan Johnson taking, taking snaps from Tyrone. And I think that's part of it, but I think Bruce, his emergence has really been a big difference as well for uh, in that place that Tyrone, you know, was a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm not saying Tyrone won't be an impact in the final two games of the year, you know, potentially three, depending on what happens with Wisconsin this week against Minnesota. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, he's really come on and, you know, seeing him be versatile in the way that he is has really been, has really been a breath, a, a breath of fresh air and something that I don't want to say Iowa didn't have last year, but it seemed like they were lacking a little bit. Arlen's just got swagger on the football field off it. I mean, he's a guy that thrives. He wants the big moment. He wants the big plays. I mean, we saw that during, you know, his high school career, senior year with Brody Breck to Ankeny. But, Sean, I mean, he could have went outside on the jet sweep when he ran in from two yards out, and he wanted one-on-one square up with the Illinois backer, ran him over, and got in the end zone. I mean, that's exactly who Arlen Bruce is. And 
I do think that entering the offseason, when Iowa tries to rework the offense or revamp it or, re, you know, emphasize what needs to be, I, I think Tyler Goodson's coming back. I don't think he should go, but I do think he'll have a decision to make whether people scoff at that or not, because it's going to come down to what's his ceiling. Does he come back? Could he have a great year, but still have the same stock? And that's why I think, you know, Tyler's probably going to have to have conversations with his camp and with NFL people to see if that's going to be the case. But if Tyler Goodson does come back, you primary, you form the offense around Tyler, Arlen, and Keegan. And those are the things right now. I think if you get Charlie Jones back, that's great. You have another, you know, probably a two-time All-Big Ten returner of the year because I think he can get this year again, especially after what he just did yesterday. I mean, on, on Saturday. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with some of the new guys. I think Brody Breck, maybe he can take a step forward after being in the system for a while um, maybe move Keegan around. I do think there's some different things that they'll be able to do. I think the offensive line is going to be better as a whole, even if Tyler Linderbaum goes to the NFL. But again, those are two guys, Sean, that you have to put the offense around. I mean, they're just, it's, they're, they, they, they bring something that Iowa just has not had as good as Brandon Smith, Andy Mir Smith, Marset were. I think, I think these guys ceilings higher. I, I just do. I think Keegan, I think Keegan has the chance to be one of the best wide receivers in the Kirk Ferentz era, just with his combination of everything. And, you know, I'd like to see Sean, I know he's probably Iowa's best one-on-one downfield threat, but if you think about what Keegan's done this year, a lot of his big plays have come on short routes and then making guys miss utilizing his strength. And when I rewatched the game, they had Keegan mostly going on deep routes and with Illinois blitzing that much, I would have really liked to see Brian, start throwing in those shorter routes for Keegan. I know he had the one slant. Like you said, I think he dropped over the middle. Uh, he should have caught that, no doubt. But if he he's going to catch that most of the time, and he can make those t- type of big plays happen. So I'd like to see uh, see that. But Iowa's defense getting it done. I think Jamari Harris is – you know, we'll see what happens if Terry Roberts comes back. But Jack Kerner just couldn't go. They think he might be able to go this week. From all indications, it sounds like Matt Hankins is not going to play this weekend. That's a big loss for Nebraska offense. Look, laugh at the record if you want, but Martinez has the chance to be an absolute pain in Iowa's butt with his running ability, and and Nebraska has a couple big downfield threats. Austin Allen, I think, had over 140 receiving yards at tight end against against, um, Wisconsin. Samari Torrey is a big play caliber guy. I mean, they, they can make you pay. And I think, you know, Sean, that one thing that stuck out to me about the Illinois game, look, Iowa didn't give up a lot of passing yards, but they got beat time and time again on those deep passes. Brandon Peters just couldn't just couldn't hit it. Adrian Martinez is going to hit that. Like, make fun of, Tom, you know, Adrian arm punt or whatever they want to call. I know they used to call Tommy Armstrong, Tommy arm punt. He's going to hit those. And if Iowa secondary gets burned like they did against Illinois, I mean – in Lincoln, Nebraska, with a crowd that's going to be itching for a culture-changing win, Iowa could be in some serious trouble, Lincoln. Yeah, I know, you know, Nebraska has been on the brink or on, you know, that fence of winning some of these games. And obviously last week against Wisconsin was pretty controversial, I thought, as well, at the end of the game. And yeah. you mentioned it, Dave. Like, this is this is Iowa – like, this is Iowa's game – to lose, I would say, if that makes sense. Because yeah. or not not Iowa's game to lose. This is Nebraska's game to win. Yeah. Because this one, like, yeah, Nebraska's not playing for bowl eligibility, but 
you know, Frost, they've said it like straight up, like Frost, like this could be the last year for Frost. Obviously, you know, he signed that. They had that one year extension where, you know, he's going to be the coach next year. But, you know, you mentioned it, like this could be the momentum that Nebraska brings into the offseason. And, you know, you they could use this win for the next couple of months, not necessarily just as motivation inside the locker room, just like belief in the, like from the fan base and everything, but recruiting and stuff too. That is so important to prove that, you know, yeah, we've been so close in these games, but this is the game that flipped the script for us. This is the game that, you know, changed the momentum of Scott Frost there. And, you know, whether or not that happens next year um, is yet to be seen, but like this game is, is huge. Like it's probably the biggest game of Scott Frost's career. And I know that's yep. said almost every week, but this one means, this one means a lot more. And, you know, Nebraska is going to come out ready. I thought Illinois came out ready against Iowa and, you know, Iowa's had a couple of slow starts to start the year. And, you know, I think it's, they can get out of some of those rough patches against teams like Nebraska and Illinois, obviously not against Wisconsin um, or Purdue, but you know, Nebraska is going to come ready for this one. This one, this one means a lot to them. And yeah, it's going to be, I was going to have their hands full, no doubt. I've, I'm higher on Nebraska than I think most people. I think, you know, there's some faults to their team, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be a, a very entertaining game, no doubt. Nebraska's biggest enemy is Nebraska. I mean, you look at basically every close loss they've had, it's special teams. It's throwing a late pick. It's doing little things. It's penalties. They can execute. Their offense statistically, I think, is top 20 in the country. It's among the Big Ten leaders. Like, they can move the football. They can score points. And if Iowa gets in a shootout with Nebraska, do you think I'm picking Iowa? I'm not picking Iowa. Their their offense hasn't proven enough to me. Iowa's best offense this entire season, Sean, has been field position and capitalizing off turnovers and field position is not 80-yard drives. It's not 72-yard passing plays. They have their moments, but that's not what they're based off of. That's not this Iowa football team. And they have yet to get in a real shootout type of game over the last couple of years. And, again, people might laugh at this. I'm higher on Nebraska than most. Um, Before the season, I picked Iowa to beat Nebraska. I don't know if I'm doing that this week. I I, I don't know. I do think this is a game that Scott Frost is going to pull out every single punch they're going to run trick plays. They're going to do everything they can to make Iowa uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know how much I buy into the recruiting aspect of it, but what they can say is for the next couple of months in this spring football, it's the new win that set the foundation for what they want to build upon for next year. Because if Frost doesn't make a bowl game next year, he's done. Zero. And even if he does make a bowl game, he still might be done. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Adrian Martinez running ability throws a wrinkle into what Iowa's defense likes to do. I think they're going to do their best to keep him in the pocket and make Martinez make decisions because Iowa, if, if he throws up those 50, 50 balls or misreads, Iowa's secondary is going to come down with that. And they're going to bet on that 10 times out of 10, but this is a very, very scary matchup for, for Iowa. It really is Sean. And you know, Iowa wants to run the football. I think there's been some good game going along with Tyler Goodson and with over the past couple of weeks, but this is a Nebraska defense that held Kenneth Walker the third, I think, the 68 yards. I need to go back and check the exact statistic, but he's a top five Heisman guy, probably the best running back in the country for Michigan State. But Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska was the first team to really shut him down. He didn't really get going against Ohio State this week. He only had six carries for 25 yards, so that game was over. 
before it even started. Uh, let's be real about that. But this is this is a very, very scary game for Iowa. And the reality is, Sean, the offense has to wake up. They have to put more than seven points on the board, even if they score 33. Iowa's offense has to win this game for them. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, it's it's a game for Iowa, too. We talk about beating Nebraska's. Nebraska's to win, but you know Iowa. There's there's a lot at stake in this game too. If Wisconsin loses to Minnesota, which I mean I don't think they will, then Iowa's in the Big Ten West Championship, and you know there there still could be a possibility for a New York Six or a New Year's. Why did I say New York Six Bowl? <laughs> a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, so there there's a lot at stake, and yeah, you mentioned the offense too. That that needs to click because if it doesn't, yeah. It's it's one of those games where, you know, it needs to be like not necessarily a blowout, but game a couple of years ago, no fan, long touchdown, you know, that game where Iowa just ran over Nebraska. I can't remember the year exactly. I think it was 2017 um, where they just absolutely demolished Nebraska. I think it was 17. That was, it, yeah. you know, it was. That was Mike Riley's last year. It was the, I think it was the 56-14 or 56-10. Yeah, I'm not saying, you know, Iowa needs to replicate that that score, that performance, but, I mean, it does need to replicate that performance. Not necessarily the the score, but, yeah. you know, have that sort of, you know, come early and just dominate and have that big stretch and, you know, make those big plays that you need on offense, which they did in that game. And, you know, defense, I think, will bring it. But, yeah, just offense, man, that, that needs to be – that needs to be the key. You need to have a couple of big chunk plays – early on in the game to get the momentum going forward. Cause you know, if you don't, it could be, it could be tough. And again, uh, again, I know people scoff at Nebraska. They, they find a way to lose more single did single possession games than any team I think I've ever seen. And yeah. that's, you know, it's going to be a close game regardless. It, it really is. I will say this though, if Iowa does win and they barely win and it's like Nebraska all season, that could be the backbreaker for Scott Frost. And that's why I agree with you it is the most important game of the Scott Frost era. I think it's going to determine whether or not the team can turn around or not. Cause then the, otherwise they enter the off season, they lose a lot of their top playmakers. Fans want to move on from Adrian Martinez, which is kind of ironic. And I'm not saying they're entirely wrong, but he's the all-time leader in offense now, and they can't wait to get rid of him. <laughs> and that, that's the, that's the craziest part about the entire saga, but you know, we'll see. I'm very curious what Kirk and the players say on Tuesday regarding this game and you know nobody's gonna say it Sean but you you mean you've been around Iowa enough they don't like Nebraska they want to kill Nebraska Kirk and Brian will do everything they can to make sure Iowa does not lose this game and vice versa I mean I think we saw that in the first time that Scott Frost led Nebraska against Iowa in 2018 when they were dancing the warm-up lines trying to get in their head you know a little scuffle ensued pre-game I mean this is the type of stuff that that they want to win this game and for more than one reason. So again, this is one of my most intriguing games of Iowa's entire season. It's been that way since we did our season preview podcast. I've looked forward to this game. I was curious how the season was going to shake out, but we'll be diving into a lot more of that hawkeyeinsider.com. But uh, we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to flip over to the basketball side of things. Iowa will be hosting Western Michigan on Monday nights. What are we looking for? What can we take away through the first four games and more? Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sean, we talked about plenty of football, but it's time to get to the, the hardwood. We've been you know, waiting for basketball season, I think, for a long time, especially with the different makeup of this team. Really don't know how much we can take away through four games, Sean, but I think it's kind of matched up to what we thought. This is going to be a very frustrating team at times for Iowa fans to watch, but they're fun. I mean, this is a very, very, very different Iowa team in a lot of regards. Some ways good, some ways bad, but this 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 entire team, once the competition ramps up, Sean, it's going to be very, very intriguing to see how they sort of match up among some of the nation's best. Yeah, and, you know, we've said it too. You said, Dave, enjoy Keegan Murray while you can. And, you know, these first four games have shown you all you need to know. And, you know, everything that we've heard or talked to people about throughout the offseason has been backed up with the way he's played this year. He has been – he's been spectacular. But, yeah, the main question coming in this season is who who could be those guys around him? Obviously, you know, I don't think he's going to be the number one scorer or, you know, start this year. But, you know, a lot of people have been impressed with Peyton Sanford, freshman out of Waukee, a guy that – you know, I've talked up a lot throughout our yeah. message boards and, you know, during his high school career and, you know, just the way he can shoot the basketball and, you know, that mentality that he has, has really been, has really been good to see. And we've talked about the scoring. Iowa needs other guys to step up. Sanford's delivered. I'm interested to see how that continues in the conference playing against some of these, you know, better teams. Um, obviously Utah State's one of the premier mid-major teams. That's going to be a key matchup. Uh, Virginia, who I know has struggled this year, but um, it's still Virginia. Tony Bennett, good defensive team. I uh, got Big Ten matchups coming coming up against Illinois and Purdue. Those would be really interesting uh, contests. But yeah, Sanford's been good. Chris Murray when he's out there, when he's healthy. Patrick McCaffrey, I thought, you know, is, was good when he's healthy. Obviously, it's a little concerning with his injury, um, but I think he'll be fine once conference play fully hits. That's that's the hope at least. Uh, Philip Bracha, when he's not in foul trouble, has been good. Um, you know, their guy, I mean, the backcourt duo of Aaron Euless and Tony Perkins has been really fun to watch as well. I think those guys would be electric coming off the bench. But, you know, that that's like, that's going to be the thing with this year's team. We talked about, obviously, the focus was on Garza last year um, with his play and just putting the ball down the post. But, you know, even though this team may not be the most offensive team, like in terms of skills and stuff like that, they're going to be a team that needs to share the basketball. And there's going to be guys that, you know, not necessarily multiple double figure scores, but they're going to be guys that are scoring seven, eight, nine points per game. And, you know, maybe in that lower 11, 12 area than there were in the last one, than there were the last two years. Um, and, you know, I think they had like three or four guys averaging double figures the last two years, but I think Keegan's can obviously average a ton of points, probably the, the high teens um, in that, you know, 19, 18, maybe even 20 area. But then you're going to need guys that, you know, you're going to need more guys that are in that 8, 9, 10, 12, 11 uh, range um, to, you know, keep up that offensive output. And I think the three-point shooting is going to be big as well. We've talked about defense, rebounding, and three-point shooting are the three biggest question marks, I think, hanging in the season. And it's, it's kind of funny to me. I know we talked about this a little bit, Sean, off the record, but – Iowa loses Nunji, Frederick, Luca, and Joe. And then the fourth game of the season, they break the single game three point record. 
And then you, it was a great stat by you where you said, yeah, they shot nine of 39 the previous two games before, before they made 20 against Alabama State. But that that's what I've talked about. It's going to be frustrating, but then there's some nights where it's going to click and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I know I was looking through some of the uh, just stats, Sean, and you know, I don't know what more you can say about Keegan Murray. And I know his, his minutes have been inflated somewhat, and this stat probably would not be true if Patrick McCaffrey had played that that fourth game, but like you mentioned, he's out with a minor injury. But Keegan Murray has more offensive rebounds than any than every player except Philip Robracha has defensive rebounds. That's how dominant Murray's been on the glass. I think he had a 27.21 rebound performance against North Carolina Central, which was phenomenal to watch. But you know, I think Sean, the thing that I've been most impressed with with Keegan, it's his just how he, he's embraced being the guy. I mean, there were times last year where he hesitated to pull up from three-point range. He turned down shots because he wasn't the guy. You and I talked about in the offseason. Can he be that the leader of the team? Does he have that sort of killer mindset? Does he have the ability to take over? No, look, the competition hasn't been stellar, but I also think it's a mental thing. And Keegan's gone out there being like, I'm literally the best player on the court. And he goes out and he's shown it night in, night out. And that's why I think it's been impressive to me. And I think that's super encouraging when you look at what they have coming up. And like you mentioned, Aaron Euless and Tony Perkins, it, that was one of the things I looked for most in last game. I went on a couple of radio programs about just asking about the game, what I was looking for. And I said, I want to see how those two guys respond because I was going to need that backup backcourt production to be able to get to that level, not just defensively, but they need guys that can hit a three that can get a rebound, go make the winning plays. And both them have shown that. And, I want to talk about Joe Toussaint for a second. I mean, you talk about a guy, again, the competition is not great, but it really looks like him and Jordan Bohan are flowing as that point guard shooting guard combo. Jordan Bohan looks as happy as can be just pulling up the May threes, three pointers as he has been. I think that's been a natural fit for him. Joe Toussaint's playing a lot more under control. He's had a couple arid passes where you're kind of like, probably shouldn't have thrown that. But I think the key is he recognizes it as soon as he makes the play. And he's been playing smart this year. And I like Sean. He's shooting three-pointers. Like, he's at least – and he's made a couple of them too. And because you can't have Connor McCaffrey, you can't have Tony Perkins, and you can't have Joe Toussaint all play in the same lineup if one or two of them cannot pull up from three-point range. Otherwise, they're going to pack the paint, and then it's just ugly, ugly basketball. So, like you said, I think there's a lot to take away from it. We won't really know until November 29th when they go to Virginia and then they start that brutal four-game stretch. I think they go at Purdue, who they could be a top-two team right now. Him, Zach Eddy and, and Trevon Williams are unbelievable. Jay and Ivy, I mean, that team is going to be dangerous. And then they go host Illinois, and then they go Iowa State. And look, Iowa State's 4-0. Who knows how good they are, but it's still an in-state rivalry game. But uh, I, I think if you're an Iowa fan right now, I think you have to be at least happy with what you've seen. The North Carolina Central game had some worries to it, but they pulled it together when they needed to. And the best player on the court took over when he had to. Yeah, and I thought that rotation that uh, McCaffrey had in the North Carolina – or I was tracking lineups during that game, and, you know, I realized kind of midway through the second half, I was like, wow, like, Fran's only used two lineups in this half. And, you know, he kept riding that one the last 13 minutes or something of the half outside of that last minute. But, yeah, I mean, you don't you don't want to take away too much. I think the first four games, though, kind of given us a good idea of what this team is going to be, um, you know, personnel-wise. 
I think, you know, there are some things that are going to be worked out during the season that we don't see now. Obviously, Fran said after the North Carolina Central game that, you know, he's still learning about this team. You know, there there's a lot of change from last year. And, you know, there's been positives, like you mentioned before. I think the offense has been better. Haven't turned the ball over that much. Um, free throw shooting's been amazing. I think there were 35-41 against North Carolina Central. Um, the defense could be a little better at yeah. times. Um, you know, I think that's going to come with it, though. And, you know, I know that's something that we we wanted to see or we kind of thought would be more of an improvement with this team. I think those inside the program believed it as well. It's just, just a matter of figuring that stuff out, um, figuring out those small things. And, you know, the bench has gotten plenty of experience, too. I think on Ken Palm, the, um, the bench minutes are first in the country for Iowa, hmm. I think, 46.3 is what it was um, somewhere around there. So, you know, those guys off the bench and that's going to be important. I mean, we mentioned Aaron Newell's mentioned Tony Perkins, Peyton Sanford, Chris Murray, either Josh or Gondale or, uh, you know, maybe Ryby Moley. It's looking like Josh right now for that backup center spot, but, you know, getting those guys ample minutes is going to be really, really key. And, you know, even a guy like Rebracha as well, who's not as used to the power five level or the high major level as some of these other guys. That's also important to get him, get him some minutes and get him some confidence before conference play ramps up. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been critical. It's been critical to get those guys, those minutes, especially off the bench, because the bench I think might be the key for Iowa this year. And this is when I kind of laugh at, at morons who are so ticked off about Iowa not playing Northern Iowa or Iowa not challenging themselves in non-conference schedule. Look, I get it. Like, they want to see the fun, exciting games. But what happened down the stretch last year, Sean? Iowa played Big Ten teams. They got tired. They got hurt. The Big Ten beats each other up, and that's why they haven't won a title in 20-plus years. Iowa has a bunch of new players and a bunch of new roles. They're bringing in guys. They need games like the first four or five or six just to get accustomed to playing alongside one another when the competition ramps up. You're not going to play an RPI top 100 team game in, game out. It's irresponsible. It's stupid. And don't give me the whole, oh, it'd be a good loss argument. No, it's it makes no sense on any level. So I like the way Fran, for the most part, has made up this schedule. I do think that maybe they could have used one more big game, but it's also different from this aspect, Sean, that they go into these first four or five games and then they go Virginia and then they have the two big 10 teams early and then they go back in the non-conference and then they go into the big 10 play. That's why they aren't scheduling these other teams like that. And you mentioned Chris Murray. I like what I've seen out Chris Murray. I think he needs to continue to stay out of foul trouble. He's different from his brother. He's not afraid to pull up from three. And there's obviously natural chemistry when he and Keegan are on the court together. And I think that's what's going to be very exciting to watch develop over the course of the year. And then, like you said, Peyton Sanford. I mean, I've I've loved what I've seen out of him. Me talk about a guy that believes he has the ultimate green light. I think that's a I think that's a that's a great thing for this team, especially one that needs three-point shooting. I think you need to give a lot of credit to Fran McCaffrey for the way he's coached him early to make him be able to be comfortable to take those shots. And then you give credit to Peyton because he's looking to become the scorer. He's looking to assert himself in that lineup and that lightning quick release and not even just his shooting, Sean, but, you know, again, the competition's different. He's done a great job of becoming a slasher and really getting in the paint and having those nice little floaters. 
And that's a, you know, for a lot of those guys who are just known as big time shooters coming out of high school, it takes them a couple of years to really show that they can do that. So I think the fact that he's looking to slash early, the fact he's willing to take these mid range jump shots, the fact he's looking to get offensive rebounds and do things like that. I think that's a very good thing for his future. And I know, I think at one point you said he's going to be a starting lineup guy, maybe two years down the road. I mean, next year he might become a focal point of the team, depending on what Keegan does and what other guys do. And when Jordan goes, because his shooting ability and what he's shown me thus far, uh, I think it surpassed any expectations people had for him. And I think he has to become a very prime contributor uh, for this, not just next year's Iowa team, but this year's Iowa, Iowa team. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I think that definitely could be could be a focal point of the offense because, man, he his confidence is so high when he's hitting. And, you know, even when he's not, like, he's still looking to get shots. And, you know, that's what you, you don't see that out of freshman guy. I mean, Keegan Murray last year, you know, he had that killer mentality at times, but also there were times where, you know, he was hesitant to shoot the basketball. And Peyton doesn't seem to have that, which is which is what you want from a freshman. And, you know, a guy that's going to be probably one of your top scorers here in the next year or two. You mentioned, you know, next year potentially, you know, even, you know, yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair assessment because, you know, you're going to need a guy like that who, you know, with the guards that Iowa has coming in could really complement well um, with a guy like Peyton. It's, it's going to be intriguing. I think this season, you know, obviously I don't – I don't foresee an NCAA tournament appearance, but – I think the building blocks that this year could give or the base that this year could give to the next couple of years, I could see Iowa competing for, you know, I want to say top five or top six in the big 10 with, if, if everything hits yeah. directly, um, obviously you're not going to have guys like Luca Garza every day, but you know, the talent, the young talent on this team is really encouraging. And, you know, there's a good mix of youth and experience this year. But I think the young guys that you have coming up are really, really intriguing and, you know, could make this this program one of the, you know, I don't want to say premier, but I think they could be competing for a top five, top six in the Big Ten um, over the next couple of years after this one. I think here's, here's how I'll caution people about this year's team. Iowa has a brutal December Big Ten stretch. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's the worst in the big 10 for any team. Like it's the hardest, whatever happens, I'd caution people not to freak out. It's going to be a very, very early test for these, this team. It's going to be, I don't want to say humbling because I don't think the team's at that point. I think they know they're underdogs and they want to thrive off it, but don't overanalyze whatever happens. Look at the way they perform then and then take how they perform a month later in January when big 10 season really gets in the swing of things. What, improvements what corrections or whatever had they made from that point that's how I think you're going to want to judge about where this team can go I think they're a bubble team I'm not ready to say they're in the tournament or out if I had if I had to gun to my head whatever I would lean they're going to be out but again it's going to be a very fun team to watch we're not going to learn anything about them till next week and even next week Sean I don't think we're going to learn about this team till big 10 play starts as in January because I think there's so many moving pieces. I think they've done a good job so far, but I mean, what, what, I mean, it's like at this point though, too, Sean, we look at who they're playing Monday night. I think that Western Michigan lost to Saginaw state. So I don't really want to sit here and ask you, what are you looking for in this game? That team just lost by four, like I said, 14 to a D two school. 
I mean, the reality is they're going to go out there. People are going to watch a basketball game. You're not going to be able to take away anything from tonight. Maybe, maybe you get a guy that gets a career high. Maybe you get some super bench guys that get big minutes like Josh Ogundale, like Riley Mulvey, because let's face it, Sean, like you talk about Ogundale. Again, he has a makeup to be a good player, but he's still so raw. There's so much I still think that needs to, you know, click with him. And I think it will, but these are the games where you try to get him involved because, I mean, you look at what he did against Alabama State. Sean, I mean, you saw what I saw. It was it was a deer in headlights moment, I think, every time he touched the ball in the post. He wasn't really looking to make a move. He wasn't really looking to make a pass. He just sort of held the ball, waited to get double teamed, and then tried to make a move and then decided what to do instead of getting the ball, putting a, you know, having a post move or two to memory and executing that. He would just sit there, wait, and think about every move. But that's the growing pains. I mean, you look at I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you think about Gable O'Shaney. He he is a freshman was horrible he was a guy that go in there get three or four fouls and then you look at him versus his last year six man of the year caliber in the big 10 shot blocker energizer etc i'm not saying josh is going to be that but i'm saying that's you know it's, it's going to take patience and it's going to take a lot of coaching but uh again the makeup i still think is there for him to actually be able to contribute to this team yeah we'll see and you said it's going to take it's going to take a bit to uh to figure that out but yeah I think there's a uh, there's hope that he can do that this year will he still kind of you know iffy on that but um we'll see the next yeah like you said next couple weeks will be interesting yeah it uh like I said it's it's like it's like Sean how much have we learned more about this team than we knew before going in the season like there's just nothing to really take away to actual memory at this point with this squad so um, I still think it's going to be a lot of exciting things to watch. There's going to be some frustrating nights, but I like what I've seen so far. And the reality is with Frank McCaffrey teams, even if they don't shoot the ball well, they're going to find a way to put up points because that's just what Frank McCaffrey does. So it's going to come down to defense and rebounding. And the reality, too, is Sean, Josh Ogunle is going to have to contribute because do you really want to put Philip or Brocher or Chris Murray on, on Kofi Coburn, on a Zach Eddy, on a Trayvon Williams? Maybe EJ Liddell, they can get away with the Keegan Murray because what he did last year against them, which was very, very good. But Big Ten's got some big dudes. And at the end of the day, they are going to need size. So it's, it, it's just going to be something something interesting to watch for sure. But, uh, Sean, any any final notes? I mean, I really don't want to get into a score prediction for Iowa, Nebraska or anything just because we're going to have so much to cover it this week. Uh, they'll have our predictions in our in our big preview. But any sort of final takeaways or you uh, you think we hit everything? Uh, I think we're good. All right, David Eichholt, Sean Bach. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at sbach247, at David Eichholt, at Hawkeyes on 247. And stay tuned uh, on HawkeyeInsider.com for all layers on Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting. Uh, until then, happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Enjoy time with family. And uh, talk to you soon.